There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Um... So thank you for your time. This is, it's a gritty, it's a really gritty subject, Kath, and that's why I need, I need you to help me through it. <laughs> I've said before, um, no one goes to a bar and orders a vodka lime with a twist of cancer, but there are more and more studies and there's more and more evidence to suggest that there are inherent links between alcohol consumption and risk of cancer diagnosis. Now you have, you've got firsthand experience at this and I've spoken to you on the podcast before about your last drink story and what we kind of, you know, we brushed over was your huge cancer story and I felt that um, in order to unpack this alcohol consumption, cancer risk link situation that you would be you know such a great person to talk to because you've you've been there done that got the t-shirt so I don't know where I feel like I want to be led by you in this space you've done the journey and you have you know you've done the research and and so I really wanted to I guess use this platform to explain to people that there are links and I just don't feel like we hear about them enough that, um, and it is plain as day that there are links between alcohol consumption, especially in women and breast cancer risk and diagnosis. So yeah, I want you to lead me and I've got loads of questions and I know you've got a lot of experience in answering the questions. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, thank you, Maz. Thanks so much. Uh, it, it's a real privilege to be able to have this conversation because I, I guess at the time, didn't think that I was lucky to have had the lived experience that I have had. But strangely enough, life throws us out experiences sometimes that we then begin to make sense of after the fact. And for me, you know, six weeks after I had my last drink, I, you know, I got up on an ordinary morning and went off to the gym and within an hour, an hour and a half, my life had absolutely, you know, changed for, it, it took a turn that I didn't expect it would, you know. I think we all know that breast cancer is, um, you know, I think the statistics are that one in seven women in their lifetime will will have a breast cancer diagnosis. But I guess the version of me before breast cancer never expected it would be it would be me. I never expected it would happen before I was 50. I didn't think I was necessarily in a high risk 
uh, group because I didn't have a family history of breast cancer and I didn't have what I thought were the kind of the other lifestyle factors that increased your risk, which you know, I, I guess what I knew to be true was that you were, you know, overweight and that you, you know, didn't exercise regularly and didn't have a healthy diet. And I, I ticked those boxes. What I didn't know was uh, that alcohol consumption can really, I guess, uh, play a role in increasing our overall breast cancer risk. And, and when I found the lump uh, on that day in August, and, you know, immediately had to go into a whole lot of medical appointments and I started chemotherapy a week later, what intuitively came to me was this question around my binge drinking and whether or not there could have been or was there a link between that and, and cancer. And I started to do my own research and I was really shocked I started to stumble upon information that I had not heard before. I hadn't seen in public health campaigns. I hadn't been told by my GP or other health professionals. And I guess I just started to have conversations with other, you know, women and people in my life about whether they knew about the direct links between alcohol consumption and increased breast cancer risk. And pretty much most people said, no. And, you know, we know that to be true because I think Monash Health and Turning Point just released some new research. Uh, and it's only, I think, one in five women is aware about the links between breast cancer and alcohol, which is 20%, which isn't a lot, right? Yeah. So I can't imagine. I mean, I've got a friend who is going through a stage four cancer journey, and he, it's, it is just, harrowing watching someone fight this disease so I I want to commend you and say you're remarkable that you've come out the other side of a cancer diagnosis that you know I feel like we you know we're better equipped to fight cancer now than what it was you know 25 years ago breast cancer took my grandmother's life you know I don't it's not necessarily a death sentence in 2022 or I know your your diagnosis was a few years ago but it's still like you said a life-changing you know you you find a lump and you just you think the worst but then when the worst actually is what's told to you I can't imagine what goes through your mind or how you spiral and when you're you're six weeks into not using alcohol to deal with big emotions and bad days, and you know for the first time in your life, binge drinking is not on the cards. That's another level and another layer of stuff that you would have had to have processed in the time. But maybe the perfect timing that you were like, okay, well, binge drinking's not an option for me because I've decided to to be a sober person. And then face this really full-on diagnosis. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I saw it as a huge challenge, but I also saw it as an opportunity to learn more, to heal more, to use my experience to, I guess I knew then that 
there was a story in what I was going through and that I would eventually be able to share that experience and do advocacy work in this area. And so I just started to think about that and how I could start to do more research, start to ask more questions and start to get really grounded in my alcohol-free lifestyle as a real superpower in my healing through cancer. So I, I kind of looked at it as, well, you know what, unlucky to have a breast cancer diagnosis, but lucky that I had already stopped drinking six weeks later. And it sort of gave me that that increased motivation to kind of go, you know what, there was an initial thought of this is the most one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened. Normally I would have a drink, but really I felt pretty, I, I, I guess pretty sure of my path that I wasn't going to go back to drinking and that I was just going to learn as much as I could from the experience as possible. And that, you know, obviously alcohol, when we're drinking, it affects the way our immune system functions as well. So my immune system going through chemotherapy was going to be um, compromised anyway. So it was kind of one of those questions that I just very quickly went to, you know what, not having alcohol in my life is actually going to be a really big advantage in this in this experience of healing through breast cancer. And, and that, I think, you know, giving yourself the best shot at healing is what you need to do if you do face a really significant health crisis. And so what did you learn? Because I know we touched on it when we last spoke that, you know, when you, you got this diagnosis and not really in many or any of the conversations did an oncologist say alcohol could be a contributing factor or was there even a discussion around what your relationship with alcohol was like at the time of the diagnosis? It's just not even on the radar. It was just diagnosis and, I guess, um, plan, mm. right? And you know what? At the time of my diagnosis, I wasn't drinking alcohol. <laughs> there wasn't any questions asked of my previous relationship with alcohol at all, you know, during my 20s or 30s or 40s. So, you know, it was really interesting. The only mention uh, really of alcohol was uh, I had an appointment with the dietitian when I was going through chemo just to talk about diet. And all the dietitian said was, you know, just to make sure that you, you know, don't drink too much during the week, you know, just to kind of keep your minimal drinking to, you know, I don't know, five to seven standard drinks a week. And that was pretty much all that uh, ever came across. And I actually questioned the dietitian and I said, look, I was, a, you know, I was a binge drinker. I've stopped drinking now. Um, do you have any, you know, information on the links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer. And it was really dismissed, to be honest. It was just like, look, you know, it's really just probably bad luck. I don't think we need to, you know, guilt people into uh, worrying about, you know, their alcohol consumption. So that was the messaging I was getting when I questioned it wow. as well. Wow. And I feel like even since then there's been, you know, some pretty um, evidenced, like empirical studies that state matter of fact that alcohol consumption 
Well, alcohol is an A1 carcinogen in humans, and a carcinogen is a cancer-causing substance. You, it, there's no dancing around that terminology or that peer-reviewed study or that evidence. Like that is the fact. And so, what have you found? And I think I feel like that. I think that that's actually been something that's been buried in the World Health Organization's study on cancer for a, a long time now. But it seems to be, I feel like the latest iteration of it, it's gotten a little bit more traction. And I think there's been a little bit more research or, you know, a few other studies that support that information. Because I feel like that's that that messaging is trickling through, like mm. alcohol is a carcinogen. So it's a it's a cancer-causing chemical. And when we put it in our bodies, it increases our risk of cancer. But prior to that, when you were going through your journey, what were the things that you uncovered? Because it sounds like your critical thinking went on, your inquisitive mind went, hang on a second, like, you know, binge drinker for so many years, breast cancer diagnosis, one and one equals two. So where did you go to find, you know, the information that you uncovered and the studies that you sort of, I guess, threw yourself at? Yes, well, of course, like most people do, I went on to Google yes, <laughs> and started doing my research there. But, you know, look, I've got to say that there was this uncannily, there was this incredible campaign running out of America called Drink Less for Your Breasts. I mean, seriously, wow. it had just started. So Drink Less for Your Breasts. .org, I think it is. Um, and so that was where I found an incredible like abundance of, of peer-reviewed information, uh, doctors, scientists. It was fantastic. And the campaign was actually well, probably targeted at women, uh, younger women in their 20s because uh, some of the studies that they have started to um started to do are showing that there could be, a, I guess, a correlation between, you know, drinking uh, in your earlier years and particularly binge drinking with increased breast cancer risk later in life. So um, I, I guess they're trying to target behaviour behavioural change at a, at a slightly younger age. And it's not so much around, you know, stopping drinking or don't drink or being you know, this, you know, the alcohol police like that. It's more about people understanding that every drink they choose not to have will decrease their risk. So building alcohol-free days into your into your week, you know, choosing to have entire weeks away from drinking or months, this will all help uh, you reduce your overall risk during your lifetime, which is really, really important. I guess the other thing, for me, that was really important was understanding. Okay, well, how how does it how does alcohol actually increase our overall breast cancer risk? And I guess you know one of the things that was really important for me was that I found out alcohol actually messes with our estrogen levels, so it increases our circulating estrogen in our bloodstream. And, of course, in many breast cancers, the majority of breast cancers uh, have high estrogen-driven growth in them. And my breast cancer uh, had very, very high levels of estrogen growth in it. So, you know, that for me was like, mm, well, that's, that's interesting. 
Um, and mm. the other thing is that, you know, alcohol itself is a hugely toxic substance. But, of course, when it goes into our body, it breaks down into an even more toxic substance, acetaldehyde, which basically, you know, causes a huge amount of DNA damage. And this can happen anywhere in our body um, because, you know, alcohol can really get into most cells in our body and create create significant damage. I mean, it's really, it's a lot to... I, to accept, you know, factually, you go, that's a lot of information, but it's good information because, again, you know, I, I love the idea of when we know better, we can do better. So let's get the information out there. And I just want to just um, on the point of peer-reviewed articles, I think um, I'm a massive nerd. It sounds like you're a bit of a nerd. <laughs> and so I just, for people who aren't super nerdy, you know, just to explain what a peer-reviewed study is, you know, because when you say, oh, I Googled it, it's not just like Google and Wikipedia and, and rubbish and nonsense. There's actually a scholarly article part of Google. Um, and so Google Scholar is where you can go and the articles that are published there are peer-reviewed, which means that the information is um, it's a study has come about or some research has come about and it's been reviewed by peers in that, whether it's psychology, scientific, whatever, it's been reviewed enough to be published. And so a peer-reviewed study means that it is actual fact in fact. It's not just some whimsical nonsense that some influencer put on Instagram that turned into a meme that made it into a news article I do news in inverted commas because I don't know, even know if that's a, I, you know, there's no quality journalism anymore, Kath. So um, just to clarify, yeah, so peer-reviewed scholarly articles, that's where the real information is and they are the research articles that you and I, I think, draw our sort of statistics and data from when we have these conversations. I know I certainly do for um, other bits of, you know, I might just, pop a stat in a, a random episode of a podcast, but it's usually come from like a genuine source of empirical research backed by science. Yes, absolutely. And that's why this Drink Less for Your Breasts um, website was so valuable because behind all the statistics is a link to all the peer-reviewed peer research and studies and you've got a whole lot of information behind that that you can go and look at and see and I guess what became very apparent to me was that there have been hundreds of studies around for quite a long time 20 years or more around the links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer but it just has not been out there really much in the public domain it's it's there but we haven't seen it Pretty much in Australia, we haven't seen a big health campaign around it. Uh, I, I mean, last year there was a campaign. Uh, I can't remember who, uh, maybe it was the Cancer Council. It was around alcohol um, and the seven causes of cancer and breast was, cancer was included as one of those. So it is, you know, it is great that they're, um, they're taking, I guess, you know, more, more of a look at it so that people... Um, have information to make educated decisions. I mean, I guess the issue is that uh, we do, you know, again, there's research that people 
get these health warnings and they kind of don't really um, act on them because they don't think it's going to happen to them. And unfortunately, Mm. in our society, we've got so many mixed messages being thrown at us around alcohol and the fact that, you know, even from the media the whole time um, around, uh, you know, the fact that everyone's, you know, normalising excessive drinking in Australia and it's really not a problem. I mean, all of the big events in Australia, grand final, um, Melbourne Cup racing, sporting, you know, sporting grand finals, these are all events where there's excessive drinking promoted by the media, promoted, you know, everywhere. So it's really difficult to, um, you know, to make um, a decision to, to change your drinking when there's so much pressure coming from all other, you know, areas around you, even, you know, your own friendship groups and, 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 and families as well. It's really full on too because I think, a lot of people are scared of cancer and I and especially after you know journeying with my friend through his diagnosis it's just I, I'm terrified of it too like it's just a life destroyer you know and I think people are scared of cancer but I think these conversations are important because it makes me aware that cancer might not necessarily just be this random thing that latches onto a random person who has no control. And if there are certain things that we're doing in our social life that are contributing contributing to our risk, the conversation about risk reduction is really important. And so it's not to say that every person that's had a cancer diagnosis is 100% responsible for that. It's not, I'm not saying that, we're not saying that. That's not the case at all. But if you become aware that your drinking behaviour may contribute to a risk factor increase, wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you want to know that that is, you know, potentially damaging to your future or your body or your life expectancy or your journey? And I think the answer is yes, you do want to know. You want to know what you're putting, if what you are putting in your body is going to harm you, you need to be made aware of that. And I don't think there's enough um, talk about big alcohol taking responsibility for bottling something that can cause cancer in human beings and selling it in shops. Mm. So I don't know where that education piece is going to come from. I don't know if it needs to be, you know, if if it's going to be lobbied and if labels are going to change on big alcohol as it did for smoking. That was, you know, that was a really big game changer for I think the tobacco industry was when it was mandatory labelling about, you know, the risks and the effects of smoking and those labels, you know, the government campaigns that came after that were really confronting but I think that shocked a lot of people into understanding the risks that smoking had for our health. So I don't know if it's going to go down that road or if it needs to come from, look, I'm not, I think any fundraising for cancer research is valid and absolutely needs to be there. But if we're holding boozy events for breast cancer research, like we could start there. (laughs) 
we could maybe start there and and I I think it's counterproductive to have a charity event fueled by alcohol for breast cancer research. So I think maybe you know somewhere in in those worlds that the education and the communication needs to start to go hey we want to raise ca- uh, awareness for breast cancer and we want to raise money for research let's not fill people full of the stuff that gives people a higher risk for a diagnosis let's maybe start there mm. let's maybe do some sober events or some running events or you know like let's absolutely get it all away from alcohol I think would be a first step because that in itself is going to be a big statement if some of those big charities go hey like we're not doing boozy events anymore because this is the latest research alcohol causes the thing the very thing we're trying to raise awareness for and and money for research for right yeah and you know this is this is where you know leadership really needs to needs to happen. Um, but unfortunately, I think in some of these charities, they're really reticent to do that because they've they've generated a lot of funds either from alcohol companies who've been pinkwashing or sponsoring, uh, or because when they have people at their events, they spend more money once they've had a few drinks. You know, they think that's a kind of a good thing to do. Um, and, you know, I, I'm really, really passionate about changing changing in these charities. I think, it ne- I think it's really important. Um, I think at the moment it's just the credibility is not there from, from my perspective. Um, I find mm. it really, um, really challenging. You know, I went to an event at the MCG earlier uh, in the year for a breast cancer charity and there were no alcohol-free drinks on offer. It was alcoholic drinks and, you know, I was able to get a mineral water but I was really disappointed because I thought this is a real opportunity to actually maybe have an alcohol-free drinks sponsor and just start to promote that you are aligning yourself uh, in a more genuine incredible way and I guess for you as a breast cancer survivor it there's another layer to that you know like it's one thing to sit back and go hey like alcohol at these events that are about breast cancer awareness doesn't really seem to fit too well you know when you know but for you having gone through what you've gone through having survived what you've survived to then get to an event, to be back at the beginning must be so frustrating for you. Really frustrating and really frustrating all the innuendo and jokes around drinking as well, excessive drinking. Like it's, yeah, I I do. I find it difficult actually. I do find it really kind of triggering and I find it, um, I find it interesting in these, particularly in these charities, that there isn't someone there who is trying to trying to change the dialogue. I mean, I am having conversations with some of these charities and trying to, yeah, do some advocacy around alcohol policy. Um, and you know, one of the charities that I've been talking to for the first time this year is actually bringing on an alcohol-free drinks sponsor to their end of year uh event um which is which is great you know it's small steps but this is you know this is the start of something and 
I started the conversation. You know what I mean? I started the conversation and this is now happening this year. So, you know, we can all achieve things. This is the other thing. Um, often you think, oh, no one's going to listen to me or what What can I do? And I'm just a big believer that you can start a conversation and, you know, you find people within organisations who are prepared to listen um, and I guess it's the way you have the conversation rather than making them feel you know, guilty about what they're doing, presenting them with an alternative view mm. and why uh, they should potentially be looking at a new policy around alcohol, particularly as you know more research and evidence starts to starts to come you know starts to come out into the public awareness. And I think for anyone listening that you know is going, oh my god, like I didn't know this, and now that I know this, what can I do? First of all, have the conversation with your friends, and you know, put this on their radar and go, hey, did you guys actually know that? Drinking, like when we get together for drinks, it's like significantly increasing our risk of cancer. That's not cool. Why don't we find something else to do as a friendship group? But also get vocal at events or your Christmas party. Email the general manager or the HR department and go, hey, I'm sober curious. I'm not drinking this month. I'm not drinking this season. Can we have an alcohol-free event at work or can there be as many options for non-drinkers as there are for drinkers so that, there's an even spread and so it's, you know, it's not about dividing the field but, you know, it, it is, it can be awkward to be that person sitting at the Christmas party or the whatever going with your mineral water going, come on, like there's so many great options and not even if non-alc isn't your thing, like it's not mine, but put some kombucha on tap for <laughs> goodness sake. Like there's so, there's no excuses actually. Yeah. But I think that it's because... People are, you know, I think sober curiosity is one thing and then being vocal about it is another, you know. But my encouragement is it's the supply and demand thing. Unless people know that there are people wanting non-alcoholic drinks because they're safeguarding their health, they're, you know, they want to lower their risks of cancer and all of the other things that alcohol could lead to. Um, they want to make a stand for their person, their friend who is going through cancer or whatever it is. The more vocal we can be, I think, you know, the more heard we are, then other people on the receiving end of that message can go, oh, my God, okay, great, now we can do something about it. So, yeah, my encouragement is to keep these conversations alive, share this conversation with people that you know, have the conversations with your friends, and then if you need to, like, send an email or send a DM or just put it on someone's radar and what have you got to lose? It, it, you may be the person that starts a, a whole movement just by having a moment. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, it's about inclusivity in the workplace as well. And, you know, I've, I've got a couple of clients who run, you know, their own businesses, their own companies. And in the past, you know, six months or so, they had their, you know, uh, I think mid-year sort of Christmas in July celebrations and now they're having a Christmas celebration and in both of these functions he's started to bring in a whole lot more alcohol-free options and he's had so much positive feedback about it from people um, and I think this is where conversations need to start you email um, email people you you bring it up and say it's really important um, and, and I think the thing is that in Australian culture a lot of 
excessive drinking is it has been done in these types of you know corporate sort of office parties and environments and mm. you know there is a, there is a role now for the employer to 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 play in changing changing the cultural nar- narrative ensuring that there isn't just endless alcohol on on tap Actually, you know, we really should be looking at, you know, binge drinking is really classified as four or more drinks for a female, five or more for adults in one in, in, one, in one sitting. And so you really should not be providing any more than that per person um, for, you know, for an event. In fact, it should be less. Um, I've got to do a, a little bit of a brag, Kath, because my general manager at my where I work at I work at a radio network and she is acutely aware of this podcast and she's a huge supporter and so she knows I I don't drink and our show was nominated for a radio award and usually like company policy is you get a bottle of booze if you get nominated for an award and when I came in the next day after we got our show nominated there was a box of chocolates on my desk great and I was like that is cool even though everyone else got booze it was nice to know that she she is a leader that listens and she knows and I never said don't give me alcohol like but she knows I do this she knows that I'm sober and she then went and sort of instead of just bulk ordering whatever went no I know that that's not appropriate for this staff member I'm going to honor their sober choice and so yeah it it is possible if you're, you know, willing enough to to let people know and then they can support. So I felt so supported as a radio show because we got nominated in the industry, which is lovely, but then for our GM to just acknowledge that I'm sober and this is my journey, this is really important to me, I felt so heard and supported. And, I, yeah, it was, it was really, it was a really nice, I was like, oh, people do listen, you know. (laughs) Change can be effective and affected by just me sharing, you know, where I'm at and and what's important to me and standing up for something that I believe in. And and even since then, like, um, there's a girl that I work with who, um, you know, she said, hey, I've stopped drinking and I'm finding it challenging. Can we catch up? I'm like, yes. So we've had coffee and we chat and you know, and so just being able to, and that's just all through just living my daily life, you know, and as much as it's radio and it's like cool, it is really just an office, you know, and there's one part of the office is a radio studio and we broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people. But other than that, it's a normal office and there's departments and there's a kitchen and we, you know, we have lunch delivered occasionally and we all of that stuff is still how a normal office environment works. So it's been cool to see that kind of flow on in my in my workspace and just just by sharing my story and that's I think that should be an encouragement that it really is just about being honest and sharing your story yeah. and then you don't know who's going to be listening and and how much change they can how much of an impact that person can have because they might be the general manager or or the CEO or whoever it is Oh, I completely agree. And I guess, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's who has had a, you know, an experience with cancer or knows someone who's had an experience with cancer, for me, I was really able to turn this uh, 
choice around alcohol um, as a really empowering thing for my health into the, you know, moving forward after my diagnosis. And once um, I had, you know, gone into remission, I still find that the choice for me to be alcohol free makes me feel a lot more grounded and a lot more confident with my with my future health, knowing that there's less chance of, of recurrence uh, if I continue to choose to be alcohol free. And that for me is where the power is in my own health, that there are only a few areas that you have control over in your own health. Uh, and alcohol is one of those. That's a big part of a conversation. I mean, there's there's diet and exercise and the way we look after our, I guess, our spiritual and, and emotional health as well. But yeah, alcohol for me has that choice has really helped me moving forward um, and living, I guess, living really intentionally and powerfully after cancer. Yeah, and I think you make a great point, Kath, like those other pillars of health, like what we eat, how we exercise, how we show up for our spirit man, all of those things are way better managed when you have a clear head. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) You know, like it all ties into sobriety. For me, absolutely. absolutely ties in together yeah totally I mean I was this is so funny I was talking to a client um this morning and she's just kicked over three months of sobriety and she was just like oh my god it's just starting to feel normal and I'm I don't think I'm ever going to go back to drinking and she said to me you didn't tell me this was a superpower. And I said, no, I don't tell you that until you get to the other side when you know that. And then she's like, oh, my God. And when you hear people say that, you just feel so, so good. Yeah, like you can't tell someone that they're going to fly. They have to just wake up with those wings one day, you know, And because when they have the revelation, it's so much more powerful. Because And the other thing is like, you can say to that person, like, you did this. You, you've, done all, you've done all of this. You're feeling great because of the choices you've made and that's so empowering too. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It is through their own choices. You know, you build momentum in yourself through daily intentional choices. And that's what, that's what sobriety, alcohol-free life style, whatever you want to call it, it is all about intentional conscious choices every day that then become subconscious because you're just so happy with the way that you now live away from drinking alcohol. It's so good. Kat, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I love chatting with you. You're so inspiring and you're a true survivor. You really are. Oh, thanks, Maz. I've loved it. I'm so, yeah, I'm so glad to have been able to share a bit more of my yeah, my cancer, my cancer story, because I think, you know, I think there's definitely um, a really big piece in there linked to, linked to the alcohol story as well. And I hope that, you know, people learn from my experience and take something from it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm just going to hit stop and just let it. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.